0: are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, we are exploring how that relationship gets worked out in real life with one of the current Sinai and Synapses fellows. Sinai and Synapses is a two-year fellowship committed to elevating the discourse surrounding religion and science, and where the five of us first met. So, without further ado... Our guest today is a professor of biology and science education at Dallas Baptist University. His research focuses on socio scientific issues, including origins, biomedicine, and environmental stewardship. He's the co editor of the Electronic Journal of Research in Science and Mathematics Education, the associate editor for the Journal of Science Teachers Education, and co-executive director of the International Consortium for Research in Science and Mathematics Education. There's a lot of acronyms in there. Welcome to the show, Dr. <laughs> Mark
1: Bloom. Thank you. And those are very long acronyms, too. So and they don't job.
0: spell anything. Like a good acronym, like SCUBA, <laughs> right, that you can say, but Erdjur-Mersin-Me and
1: ikers me me It doesn't roll up the tongue? me yeah, well, we inherited them, so uh, we didn't. Well, but injures we really me rolls them.
2: off the tongue a lot better than the journal one. Like, well, how do you say that?
1: Injures me. Injur- <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I never know that one. Oh well, um,
0: those of you listening might also remember Mark from the live episode that we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was one of the patrons who asked a really insightful questions to to all of us. Uh, so I want to say thank you for being a, a listener and a fan and a uh, a patron as well. Now, you've also you've used this podcast in your classes. am i am I remembering that right?
1: I am. I'm you know, uh, Ian's my best friend, and when I heard he was going down this path, I was so excited about the podcast. I actually wanted to apply. For Sinai and Synapses when you all were in it. And my life was just out of control. I was I had way I, I didn't have the bandwidth for it. And so I didn't do it. And so as soon as it opened up again, I did. So i I've kind of been following Sinai and Synapses, and of course following Ian's working with Ian for so long. So when the podcast started, I was trying to promote it whichever way I can. And I I teach a non-majors biology class and it it focuses on all the contemporary issues in science so stem cell research and cloning and health diseases you know SARS uh, coronavirus all these kind of things kind of roll into that course and so when the podcast began i thought why not have my class listen to it i thought if nothing else i would get you another 40 <laughs> listeners each week and they'd be a captive audience and i didn't know if it would work and not knowing what you would be talking about, I was a little bit concerned because we—I I do work at a Baptist institution, and I didn't know if you would be saying things that my students would consider heresy and sacrilege. And and actually, you do—they <laughs> <laughs> do come up, right? And and my students are from—they're not science majors, so I've got biology, I've got uh, you know religion majors, philosophy majors, business majors, and and I was curious as to how they would approach that. So I began the course with the a lesson one day on dialogue on how we can dialogue with each other and how I I set up bold statements like uh, women should not work except in the home. Now, student 10, you respond to that. And I actually gave them prompts and they would say, I understand your statement. However, I disagree because, and so I had a whole hour long session with them learning how to dialogue and have conversation with people who they disagree with entirely. And then I said, that's how we're gonna frame the rest of this course. So as you listen to these five different people from different faith traditions, talking about science and religion, you're gonna hear things you don't like, but I want you to dig in anyway. And it turned out these non-majors loved your podcast. I had some of the best in-class dialogue regarding what you all said, than I ever have in the seven years I've taught at DBU. So it was a really rewarding experience, and I'm doing it again this semester. So I can't wait to get started.
0: Uh, That is... uh, I don't really know what to say about that. That's (laughs) really awesome um, to understate it significantly. Uh,
2: Well, I got a a request, if you don't mind, Mark. You said that... at the beginning of that, you talked about you were concerned that, you know, would they find things um, sacrilegious, I think is what you said, right? Can you remember any examples, like, were there any that someone may have, like, that were brought up in conversation in class,
1: or at least over, like, discussion boards, and then how it was addressed? Two pop up right away. One is where, I I can't remember if it was Adam, or maybe it was Uzak, who characterized Song of Solomon's as softcore porn. <laughs> That, ah, that was, I think that was Rachel. <laughs> it maybe it was. Maybe it was Rachel. Yeah, uh, I know. Then we all it, agreed <laughs> that hit a sense. Of, well, exactly. And so my students did not like characterizing mm-hmm. scripture that way. And I, I understand their position. I was like, I get that. The other one that I think was more substantive was this was you, Zach, I'm pretty sure that said uh, that the the groundwater. And, and one well is your source to get to that groundwater but there's multiple different wells that all tap in to right. the same source and my students said that's implying that all religions are equal and they're all valid in reaching the same you know spiritual truths and they they disagreed with that and I said I, I understand why and uh, and I was not defending your positions at all but it got dialogue going which I think was really yeah special.
0: that's kind of the the uh the idea, the worldview, the theology that got me, um, I don't want to say kicked out, but unwelcomed at my Baptist church that I grew up in. So uh, that does not surprise me at all. Um, just for our listeners, by the way, I don't mean to imply that all religions, all practices, all uh, pursuits of truth lead to truth. Universalism is just as lazy as fundamentalism, that um, many I think many
1: paths can lead to truth, but not all. So, and that's the, I'm so glad I'm doing this now because this is a follow-up that now this semester, when that same issue will probably arise, I can clarify, well, Mm -hmm. I I spoke with Zach and Zach's position is actually this, and I can reiterate what you just said.
0: I, I mean, there's... There's an old internet trope that every argument leads to a uh, mention of Nazis within five minutes but you know if I were to be truly that way I would have to say that the Nazis <laughs> led to truth as well and you know their well uh, is filled with water and I can't say that and so I can say that m- there's there's many ways to find the groundwater but man there are just some places where you dig and dig and dig and all you get is rocks you know and then you got to find another place to dig.
1: What I, what I found is these kind of in-class conversations led to more and more dialogue where I would come into the classroom to get ready and students would be in debate talking about religious doctrine issues and they're already like chimed in and kind of contesting each other. And I said, that's what's valuable because once you get pushback and then you have to defend and, and think about other perspectives, that's how you build your faith in a place that is really strong. And it's something you can really stand on, that if you don't test it, it's like untempered steel. And so uh, the the podcast gave a vehicle for showing them ways to hear ideology that was quite different from their own and to strengthen their own position on what they felt about it, which is not always the case at DBU, because so everything we teach is taught through a christ center perspective, depending on whatever class you're in. And so I think a lot of times they kind of hear the same message over and over and over again. And, when, and I, I fear that once they leave the campus, they're going to come in contact with people who have different religious perspectives and not know how to respectfully interact with them. And so, I, I think this is a really valuable part of my course now. So, thank yeah. you for doing that. So, it.
0: in in your own story, you mentioned being in your 20s and there being a pastor who said that you cannot be a Christian and have any integrity if you accept evolution. And you mentioned that as a, a sort of turning point for you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your religious upbringing and this turn towards science and struggling with this?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was I was raised in a super, super religious. Um, we went to church twice on Sundays and once on Wednesday. And uh, we the church was a major, major part of our lives. All of my friends were people that I knew through church. Uh all of our family, friends, people that came over went to the same church, um, and it was a, a. I was raised Church of God, and as I understand it, there's different Church of God chapters. We were the Anderson, Indiana chapter, and in many ways, it, it seems to me it was more conservative than than current Baptist churches that I that I attend. Uh, my parents met at Anderson University which is a church of God institution. And uh, they used to have the pink sidewalks and the blue sidewalks and to keep the boys separated from the girls. I mean, it was a very, very, very conservative. Um, They actually met on a, uh, they used to double date with Bill and Gloria Gaither, who are yeah. famous. You, you know them. I can see your face. Yeah, so it was Bill Gaither. He claims that he's the one that got them together and said, John, this is the one for you. Go ahead and marry her. And uh, so that's kind of the, the if, if you know who they are, you know what that means. You know, we knew the Sandy Patty and her, Ron and Carolyn, her parents. I mean, we were we were deep in it, right? And and so that's all I really knew. But I also, I have a God-given inclination towards science and nature that's what uh, that's what fuels me that's what excites me and so very early on i started participating in in ecology um summer camps where i would learn the native plants and learn the native insects and learn what foods you know what plants you can eat in nature that sort of stuff doing dissections very very early age and and that was my my pension and i know that when i first declared like i'm a biology major i'm i'm pretty sure i hit a bunch of prayer chains because <laughs> I didn't realize I, it, I'm serious because I, I didn't even realize the problem at the time, but there, there was already a, sort of a fear of science that there's the religious way of looking at the world and there's a scientific way of looking at the world. And um, and so I followed it and I it fo- fostered that knowledge and I took every science course I could. And I watched the science programming on TV. And I remember getting in trouble for watching the planet of the apes series on Sunday afternoons. when My parents would take naps and I didn't really know why, but years later I figured it out that it was this, um, this fear of the concept of biological evolution. It was just, it was so demonized in, in our culture that this is just something so wrong. And, and well, you know, you know, the stories you can look at answers in Genesis and others and see how they lead it to Hitler in five <laughs> minutes, as you would put it right. Um, so yeah, you know, I I was I remember studying in, in high school and college, getting a biology degree, and it was a Sunday morning. And it, it goes to show you because I, I think people who don't grow up in our world may be surprised to learn that a pastor would have the subject of a Sunday morning service on evolution. But it, where I grew up, that's that's sort of understandable. Um, so he, he said, you can't be a Christian and have any integrity and accept evolution. And by that point, I had, it, it made sense to me as a way of explaining change in species, change in populations over time that I thought that's a real line in the sand. And as you said, you were kind of pushed out of your community. And I find that's very much the case, unfortunately, in uh, in American evangelicalism, that if you deviate from the norm, you're kind of crowded out and pushed away and and that's why i i really make it an issue of not saying here's my beliefs all the time i try to say here's the scientific perspective and here's why scientists adhere to this way of explaining it and if you disagree you may disagree but it your opinion might not be a scientific explanation uh, i just did that in a discussion in my non-majors class this week and i said you know who in here and i've got a class of 40 and i say who in here knows someone Who had some terminal illness and was given weeks or months to live, and then was healed. And there's every semester, there's hands that go up, and people know of people, and I'll let them give me a brief. You know, they had a tumor and it was inoperable, but then they went in again and looked, and it was gone, and they were healed. And I said, so what explains that? What, how, how how do you explain that? And they say they believe it was divine healing. And I said, okay, who who agrees? Is it divine healing? Hands go up. That that makes sense. And I said, okay. However, that's not a scientific explanation. So dig deep and come up with a scientific explanation. What, what scientifically could explain that same phenomenon. And they think for a while and reluctantly, they'll finally say, um, antibodies were produced that attacked the cells and killed the tumor. And I said, that's a, that's a scientific explanation. Absolutely. Now, does it mean just because we have a scientific explanation, that's right. And they say, no. And I say, that's how we're going to approach science in this course. We're going to show how scientists explain things and why they explain it the way they do using physical evidence and natural causes. And once I do that, I think it diffuses the situation because it says, I'm not going to judge you if you believe God healed that patient at all. I'm going to leave room for that. In, in my worldview, and I do leave room for that. I, I'm not a philosophical naturalist. And so I explain what that means, that if we, and I said, everyone on this campus holds the view that there are things that extend beyond reality and are explained outside of the laws of nature. And that's perfectly acceptable in my field. And so I think by doing that, I'm not doing what that pastor did. I'm saying in here, you're safe to have an opinion that differs from science, absolutely, and you're in a protected space. Unlike what that pastor did, which was to say, you're able to have an explanation of the natural world that differs from my interpretation of it based upon Scripture. That That's what he was unable to do. And I want to foster a, a, a way of looking at the world that has room for that, to accept people who may think differently.
0: Yeah, that's actually exactly my turning point as well, was uh, my pastor from the pulpit said that the only reason that you would have to believe in evolution is if you believed that God couldn't do it. And you didn't have enough faith and i realized maybe i don't belong here anymore
1: <laughs> well and i always said what if that's the plan he had and that's the process he wanted to use you know who who am i to condemn that you know I, I did an exercise one semester with my students and i said there's you know basically there's four views of the origin of all the diversity on life right like if we could we could I know there's more than this but we can kind of lump them into four categories and i say there's one that's young earth six thousand year old earth everything was made in its present form we'll call that a a option there's b option that the earth is real i hope i can remember them all the way i divided them up there's the uh old earth very very old earth billions of years old but everything was made in its current form so that could be option b there's really really old earth and biological evolution accounted for the origin of species, except for humans, because mm. that's something I've learned that in, in the world of grown up, that's special, that humans were made specially separated from the rest of the animal kingdom. Or there's D, which is old, old earth and biological evolution accounts for everything. I said, so those are like the four different camps we could choose. And I said, identify which one you are. You're not going to have to tell me, but figure out which one you're in. And I said, what if we divided into the four different groups? And lo and behold, we have a special guest visitor today. God is in the house and he comes (laughs) here and we get to ask him one question. And we're going to say, which one of these is right? I said, whichever camp you're in, if he chooses one of the other three, that shouldn't shake your faith. That should make you go, oh, I had that wrong. Okay. He did it differently. And I said, but if he says biological evolution accounted for everything, including the human species, if that cripples your faith in any way, then your faith is built on the wrong foundation. So start figuring that out now, what your faith really means to you, which I think is what happens in college anyway, with most people.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it really does. And so many many people go to college with this uh, unquestioned faith, and they encounter all these things, and they come home, and they've got these new ideas, and they don't have a container for them, and a lot of churches have no space for that. And that this is where the narrative that, you know, kids go to liberal colleges and they're ruined and they're no longer Christians anymore. And that's just meaning that we don't have space for you to come back and explore these anymore. Uh, But you have a lot of experience in teaching science to not only, you know, Christian kids in a Baptist school, but also teaching science to non-science majors. So lots of I, I was reading over some of your reviews on Rate My Professor, and uh, <laughs> one of them, by the way, um, um, super passionate about science, it's kind of hot, which uh, I just feel like I need to share. Oh, I need to start um, looking at those. I mean, it's it's from 2014, so, you know, but... A lot of them fun. were like, "I don't like science. I don't know anything about science. I'm not a science major." But he made it feel he made it really interesting, and he made it really applicable. And with that experience in mind of talking to non scientists and also talking to um, the sorts of people who would be at a Baptist college. Um, what can we do what 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 do we as the as the people as leaders and whatever community we're in to help to increase the scientific literacy in this country and in our religious circles wow
1: yeah that's 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 my existential problem that's the what what gives me the most angst is is how do we fix that especially it, right what's happening right now with with the way people are approaching the science behind uh, the covid 19 um, the way I run into students who still are anti-vaxxers on a regular basis um, it's a little bit alarming and I think that's really why I teach the non-majors class the way I do um, our lab in the course it's not it's not watered down majors biology lab where they're cutting open a frog. We don't do that. What we do instead is we put it all online and we said, you know, Bob is 55 years old and he's having, uh, he's beginning to feel tired all the time and he lacks energy and his, his sex drive is diminished and he's considering taking testosterone supplements. So what would you tell Bob? And we may give Bob a physical heart condition or something that we have to kind of play that into the story as well. And then the students are tasked with going online and investigating the efficacy of these drugs and whether, whether there's any harm involved in them and whether there's any risks involved. And they've got to write up a report about that scenario. Uh, and so what, what I'm tailoring them to do is find credible sources. So they've got to go to .govs and .edus and to go to the NIH and go to the World Health Organization to answer these questions rather than Wikipedia or Facebook. And and I think that's really critical. And I I start my course off, I think all of us tend to end up dissing our mother on this program for some reason. Ian just did it by not calling his mother out (laughs) as the best teacher. But I I give the story of my mother sent me a, a video that demonstrated how to make rotten bananas fresh again. And and in the video, it showed the black bananas that were ready to be made into banana bread or thrown away. You, they put them in a bag, like a Ziploc baggie with some salt and they shook it up. And when they took the banana out, they used a blow dryer of all things to blow dry the banana and the blackness went away. And it worked because when you peeled the peel back, it was a fresh banana inside. Um, and the video had not been edited. You could tell it was perfect. And I had to Politely let her know that we're just looking at some trickery that there was some heat sensitive dye that was put on the banana that it was fresh all along. But I said the internet is just filled with misinformation like this. That is, and that was that was a pretty blatant example that most people would have gone, ah, I don't buy that. But you know, you you've talked about the deep fake and and how they're they can just misrepresent so much these days that searching out critical uh, good sources. And having that healthy, healthy skepticism is something that I really want to foster in them. Because we've got a very unhealthy skepticism right now where, you know, the the ivory tower people, well, they just lie to us and they're in it for the money. And that's why all those climate scientists are living in mansions. You know, that's it. It it doesn't make sense. But yet it it reads into a narrative that they kind of like to believe in this postmodern era where, you know, the big authority is not really watching out Mm for me. And so I. I'm trying to teach them those critical thinking skills and finding credible information. But boy, what we're we're seeing right now shows us that the pushback is so extreme that we want answers. We want simple answers. So when a doctor in Plano or wherever it was says, I've cured COVID with zinc and some other drug that we use, even though the World Health Organization hasn't solved it and the CDC hasn't solved it and the NIH hasn't solved it. People want to jump on that bandwagon because it's what I want to hear, because I'm tired of being home for six months. And so there's there's something in our humanity that we just want answers. We want to be in control. And science doesn't always do that. So I try to let my students know science is messy. Science is messy. It, we we come up with an idea and then we realize that was wrong and we have to fix it. And we keep kind of trying to approach a better and better explanation and try to approach towards truth, but science doesn't give us truth. It gives us the best explanations we can come up with, with the evidence that we have and the knowledge that we have. And so when we teach science in a way that it's this block of material in a book, here's the answers. Students love that. But when they realize all the work that went into generating that, they don't see that part of it. And so what we're witnessing right now is the ugly part of science. Uh, Back in March, they were saying kids don't seem to be getting COVID. And then a week or two later, they're like, oops, they do get COVID. And then we're learning that, you know, it's, everything keeps shifting. And the recommendations keep shifting. And The public has a general tendency to say, see, they don't know. They keep flip-flopping and changing their mind when really the flip-flopping is adjusting and adjusting the course and trying to get better, better and better recommendations as we go. But it is a frustrating thing. And I think if we can teach the non-major students that that's how science works, then they won't judge it so critically in times like Mm -hmm. this when they see it not being clean. So two
0: things. First of all, um, I want to say for the record on recording, I love my mom and, uh, (laughs) she's a as do i i love my mom my mom mom. is 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 one of our show's patrons and is a faithful
1: listener and uh, i would say my mother is one of my greatest (laughs) teachers i've ever had actually
0: um and secondly uh, hearing you talk about the the messiness of science and the intentionally so right that every scientific claim needs to be falsifiable and scientists are always looking for ways that they can prove themselves wrong and then readjust and readjust and readjust and that's how that's why it's so reliable and you've kind of hinted a little bit before that that's not the way that our typical religious systems have been have been practiced that we've done the opposite that Truth was handed down, and it's true now, and it's true forever in its current form and understanding. And any questioning will get you kicked out. What What do you think that that religion can can learn from science? And is there anything that uh, science can learn from religion?
1: I can't speak for religion generally. I can speak for the pocket of religion that I that I swim in, that that I was raised in, and uh, I didn't get pushed out per se. I kind of did back when I was 20, but I came back in and they let me back in. But the reason they let me back in is that I'm very respectful and very polite. And I, I know I have cultural intelligence. And so I know the things that can upset and trigger my students. And so I'm very careful not to do that. I try to be very respectful, not just out of self-preservation, but out of respect for them. I want them to be able to learn and grow and learn to dialogue. Um, but I wish the church could do likewise. I wish they were more willing to ask the critical questions and be self-reflective and, and question whether we've got it right or question whether our perspectives are, need a little adjusting or shifting. Um, times are changing, and that doesn't mean that we have to be on some slippery slope of losing our identity, but we have different situations going on in the world today than we did 2,000 years ago. And I think embracing that change and thinking about how we live out our religious beliefs with this changing environment is what's going to keep at least my faith tradition healthy? It's going to what keep keep it going. Um, you know, the millennials are just fleeing the church. They're they're running away. They're finding it irrelevant, and and they don't want to be a part of it anymore. And I think that's horribly unfortunate. And I think part of it is they they want to have dialogue about the critical conversations. I've seen a little bit of other traditions, like even what Ian's done with um, Father Brown, when you had lesson studies about climate change you know how in the world did climate change become a political issue but it did and in evangelicalism most evangelicals align with republican values and so if you politicize climate change they believe it's a hoax and they don't want to go there um we need to push through those things and and say no they're not we it's not a political issue it's a scientific issue and it's a humanitarian issue which really taps into our religious beliefs and a religious calling to love our neighbors. You know, I think uh, Catherine Hayhoe, the climate scientist from Texas Tech, I have so much respect for how she presents that issue as a religious issue. Um, I pipe her into my class every semester. She's a guest lecturer uh, that she did a a video on climate change. and, And my students are always so caught off guard that here I've got this climatologist that they thought was this Democrat bad, aka bad. I, I, you know, idea being presented by an evangelical Christian who's married to a pastor. You know, they, and I think once we expose them to that, they feel more comfortable having those conversations. Um, I, I have a nutrition class I'm teaching, and and yesterday I, I took the whole class to do a, a quiz over equity in health across the globe and across the United States. Oh. And I had a series of questions like, you know, uh, in in the white neighborhoods, uh, there's 33 acres of park space per thousand people. How many acres are there in the black and brown mm-hmm. neighborhoods? And I had multiple choices and it went from, you know, kind of approximately the same 28% to just an extreme uh, lack of park space. And my students were amazed to learn there's 1.6 acres, I think, per thousand people in the black and brown neighborhoods. There's four t- no, like four times as many grocery stores in the white neighborhoods as there are in the black and brown neighborhoods, that there are uh, a 15-year disparity in life expectancy between different counties in the United States. Um, I, I had a whole series of these questions. And when I got done, I said, the you're saying this is a nutrition class. Why am I doing that? And I said, but because it's mm. all connected, right? If there's not grocery stores nearby, you may eat fast food a lot more often, which leads to poorer health, which leads to shorter life expectancy. If there aren't green spaces, you don't get out and exercise as much, which means poorer health and lower life expectancy. Said so all of these things are related to nutrition and you need to expand your worldview to see that. And I said, I, I do this. I want to do this today because of the cultural issue going on with black lives matter across our country right now i said because it has largely been politicized as a democratic thing and because evangelicals so often align with the republican uh, perspective there's a fear i have that you're going to think caring for our black and brown neighbors is a democratic or liberal ideology and it's not black lives matter Brown Lives Matter. And as soon as I said, and I got a little nervous. I'm like, am I am I stepping over that line a little bit and maybe being a little too advocating? But the head started just, yes, yes. And the students were so pumped and excited that I went there. And, and so I tied it back. I said, this is our core value. Love your neighbors. Take care of them. Care for the underprivileged. And so it's our values. And I want us to think about that as we go through the context of this course. Because I said, you many of you might be like I was, where you've never experienced the, the concern as to whether you would have the next meal. I never worried about that. I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had plenty of food. Um, I said, but every year, there's this, there's this false ideology that everyone in this room, because we're at a, a private institution, all had the same privileged background. It's not true. I said, every semester, I've got students in nutrition who thank me for showing the rest of the class the, the story of migrant farmers. Who have to uproot their kids and move them from place to place, following farms, and that there are people in my class who grew up eating food from food pantries, and so we need to recognize they're in this room, they're right here in our neighborhood, and we need Mm. to care for them. I just I ramble. I can ramble. This is your episode. Reel me in. (laughs) That's right. It's all about you, brother. That's what gets you. Ask what gets me energized. That's what gets me energized. Is it's caring for those who are being left behind um I was I was small for my age. I was the youngest one in my class. I was born on the last day that you could start that year's school. so I was always the youngest. I was always the smallest. I'm still only five foot six. I didn't grow very large. I come from wee people and and I think that that impacted me. I think growing up and being the last one chosen for flag football because I was a little guy and you know being the one that got lost in the the woods because everybody ran on ahead of me and I couldn't keep up. I think those left an impression on me. That people should have cared for me. And, and I want to make sure others don't experience that, that feeling of I'm, I'm not as important, I'm not as valuable. And, and to see it so prevalent, even in our country today, after all these years, um, that's what I want to impact. I, I want to leave an impact in the future that we need to care for these people.
0: Ian, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have any, any questions?
2: Not yet. Uh, I'm just here more for moral support from my two buddies. <laughs> I, I mean, I love, I love the activity that you just described. I, I, I think we've talked about it in the past, but I like the way you took the activity with your nutrition class um, and having them like see something, at least experience something, so that they can better understand this. not, you know, the idea here is not for it to be a political issue which it has become.
1: And I like that you've done that. I I so much feel like that. Our, our purpose on this planet is to care for the creation, which means care for ourselves and care for the environment and care for the other people that share the environment with us. And so also in nutrition, I bring up, you know, social justice with the migrant farmers and, and who's having to harvest the food. And what they're having to eat because of the, the poverty levels that they're in. I bring up environmental justice. So we'd look at the impact of climate change. And and Zach, we ate crickets Did you really? last year. When we were still able <laughs> yes, when we were able to gather as a group and, and actually interact with people and put things in our mouths, you know, I brought we brought food in and, and I brought crickets in. And everybody ate crickets and and it was it was exciting and uh, interesting. Um, so I bring in environmental justice, I bring up social justice, we talk about animal well-being, uh, uh how the animals are treated, and I said, even though you know you may not think that's as much of a concern to kill an animal, I still think it's something to say they should actually at least live in dignity. Because if we can treat animals horribly, that I think is one step closer to treating other people horribly, and and so we need to care for our environment. So it's very much a pulling back the curtain and exposing people. I don't think these people. I don't think most people are bad. I think most people don't realize what's happening. I think we go through life with these blinders on and we think life is like my life. Like that's the lived experience that humans have. And so I say, no, I want you to see. I want you to see that other people live in a totally different way than you do. That some people, you know, I I know people who, my own wife said that there were times when they, when they were very poor and they were given a box of ramen and say, that's your food for the week. You can eat it all right now or you can spread it out over the week. I didn't know that experience. And so to see that and understand that, um, I, I've got a 12 year old daughter that I swear she's got it. She's my arc and I'm trying to pour everything into her to carry on my message in the next generation. And I, I take her everywhere. I want her to see the world. And so I took her to Panama this year and I, and she saw how people live differently. And, and I, yeah, I'm trying to teach her how we respect them, even though they may not have shoes on their feet and, or pants on, they may be running around in diapers and, but that's, that's their experience. And that's, that's, we need to love on those people. Um, eat different foods, try different cultures, see how different people mm-hmm. live. Um, that's how you gain the empathy for people that are different. And, and I, I just think we need to understand that. By the time I'm done with my class, most of my students have significantly cut back on their animal protein intake because you know, they, they see how factory farms work and how the, the lives of the animals that, that live there. Um, that That's my goal. I think science is a way of solving most of the problems that we have on this planet, but it's not going to work if we don't all throw our energy behind it and accept it for what it is.
0: I think it was, uh, Dr. Fauci at one point just exasperatedly said, I don't know how to convince you that you should care for other people. And I I have never felt more connection to a scientist than in that moment. It was like, that's, that's my entire work. that's my whole job is I don't know how to convince you that you should care about other people. I think it was Bethany in in the episode, the crossover episode we did with Color Correction, who said that all um, all dystopian situations, all dystopian movies and TV shows are just um, the stuff that's happening to black people now happens to white people, and then that's your dystopian nightmare. yes <laughs> um, <yeah>. and <laughs> That th- this is happening, and that all of this is connected to to that issues of of justice, and it's it's messy and dangerous to even question that. Um, I mean, it got Jesus killed.
1: <sighs> that's what yeah. hurts my heart. That's what that's what gives me that's what hurts me the most right now is you know, the the recent you know shooting in the back of a black man that by an officer. It felt to me like we're right back in the '60s again, and and that we shouldn't have gone back that much. in And how do we make people care? And I don't think they can care if the other is otherized and if the other is abstract. I think they need to experience that person. and And I think you're helping with that by bringing on the the um, the race issue into into your podcast. Like, how is that science? Well, it, you made it science, and you brought it in, and you're letting people hear from the the front line, what it, what it feels like. And I think that's so valuable and that's what I'm trying to do Uh, where I work. And I think to
2: add to what you both said, I mean, the, the caring thing, and I'm, you know, Zach, I'm glad you brought up Fauci because, you know, I know I've said this to both of you before. The thing that really bothers me the most, you know, is the fact that with everything we're dealing with right now, it seems to come down to uh, not caring for others. You know, when you look at the pandemic, um, the fight and the ridiculousness around masks. And I'm not wearing a mask. You're not going to control me. The government's not going to control me. And it's just like we're trying to get you to care for other people, you know. And um, and then when they follow, when people use, argue against masks and then they follow it up with, and I'm a strong Christian and I'm just kind of like if, if you were, you'd wear the mask. Right. And. It just And so the other day, we went out on a boat with some of our friends that we've been hanging out with since the beginning of all this. And um, while there just interacting with other people who sometimes would start getting a little close who weren't wearing masks with signs up everywhere asking to wear masks. And, you know, and the kids and I were there and our friends and their kids were there. And, you know, I was to the point where I really wanted to turn around and say, you know, thank you for making it clear that you don't care about me and my family. You know, here I am wearing a mask knowing that it's doing more to help you than it is me. Cause I'm wearing my mask. The least you could do is do the same. And it's, it's just to me, it's, and then when you see, you know, the, the black lives matter movement and you know, the, just the, the murder and attack on black and Brown people in our country for centuries. Again, it just all comes down to you just, it's like people just can't care for others. I, I just don't, understand that and that's what hurts me the most too is just this deep down of i don't see how you feel so threatened by a mask
0: this is why uh i think probably my favorite one of the gospels is the gospel of mark um i mean it's a great name but hey hey. (laughs) the jesus in the gospel of mark gets so frustrated so many times, and it really comes out in the Greek um, and not so much in the uh, sanitized English, but just, just so many times where Jesus is trying to teach people how to be good humans. And it seems like they got it. And then the next thing the disciples do is something completely different. And Jesus is like, Ugh. at one point, he says, how long do I have to deal with you people? And I love that. I just, I love, I love the Jesus that is just so frustrated because it seems like such a simple concept and Mm -hmm. then not so much. So
1: that's what I, you know, in the current political climate, you know, with the, the democratic platform being so often characterized as socialism but i'm like you know when when jesus fed people it was called christianity right what he said to do it that's what it was but now it's called socialism it's this the, the unhealthy ties between politics and religion i think is is really unsettling and i think we often forget the whole the, the whole i am second movement that i should look at others first and and care that's that's really being lost in this generation i think
0: so here, um, here at the end, I want to ask you a question that I have asked everyone so far, and that is: What is the one thing you wish that everyone knew about the world?
1: I think about the about the whole world, right? The whole universe. You could even say this: We're all made of the same stuff. We're we're all connected. Um, that I see creation. Very much as a manifestation of God in, in real form, this is uh, uh, God is here. God is in this planet. This is His creation, where He shows us His nature, and we should love and care for it. We should respect it. Um, that's why, you know, I I don't kill spiders in my house. I capture them and I let them go. Um, I, I try to avoid even silly little things, right? I know, Ian, I see you cringing, (laughs) but, you know, and and when I, when I have problem, when I have fire ants in my yard, (laughs) I kill them, but it's not with a a gleefulness. It's a, it's an unfortunate thing that you ended up here by the stupid behavior of these humans who carried stuff from South America over here. And now we have fire ants and I regret that I have to murder you all, but I have to, because it's not healthy (laughs) to have you here. Um, I I give respect to living things. I give respect to non living things. I see, you know, people going into national parks and defacing, mon- you know, natural monuments and, and hillsides. I, I find that it's painful to me because we're marring the beauty that God has given us as a way of of seeing who He is and and learning His nature. And we do it so with such abandon. It seems like we're willing to. To blow the tops off of mountains just to get the coal out from it, when there's alternative ways of getting energy, why can't we respect that mountain and treat it a little bit better? Um, the way we raise cattle, the way we raise poultry, it's it's demeaning to the to the I don't to call it humanity of these animals. It's, it's not. It's treating them so badly. Um, We can do better than that, but it's going to take us just pushing a little bit harder and being willing to give up a little bit of our time and a little bit of our energy, maybe paying a little bit more for those things that we want to have. But it it, again, it comes back to the requiring us to put others before ourselves. If if I've got to pay a little bit more for my eggs so that those chickens are treated respectfully, then I should do that Um, because we're all connected and because nature is the manifestation of God on earth.
0: Well, I hope everyone in the world listens to this podcast and can yeah. hear that. <laughs> Thank you so much for that and for uh, the past 40 minutes of conversation. Best of luck in this semester, this very strange school year, as well as the second half of your Sinai and Synapses experience.
1: Thank you so much. It's really been great. All yeah. this, all of it, the whole podcast journey. It's been fantastic getting to know you all, hearing your thoughts and perspectives, and it's challenging me and making me grow. And so you're doing a great thing. I appreciate you.